All right, well, good evening, Summit Church. Welcome and Happy New Year. Uh, as Andy said, my name is Drew, and I'm one of our uh, non-staff pastors here, and I'm actually really excited to be able to open up God's Word with you uh, this evening. And as Andy also said, we are kicking off our uh, United series, and so I get to do the uh, first week of that. So to, uh, today we're going to be in uh, gospel, and, and I'm, again, I'm really excited to, uh, to be able to do that with uh, you guys, I think it'll be a, a really great time. And, and think about the United series. When, when you think about this, uh, think about it as like an introduction. And so we are going to spend the next three weeks kind of introducing ourselves and, and telling you kind of the most uh, important things about us. And, and Andy also said this, but again, I want to repeat it because I think it's really important. If you are new here, uh, you've come at a really great time. And we're really glad that you're here. But if you're not new here, and you've been uh, a member, or you've uh, or you're a member, and you've been attending for a while. This is still a really important time for us. Maybe this is your third go around of the United series. Uh, don't don't kind of take this as like a time to cruise through. This is a really important time for us to reaffirm uh, what we're about as a family. And so again, uh, I'm really looking forward to to do this with you and and to go through this idea of the gospel. But let's let's go back to this idea of an introduction. When you think about an introduction, right, the best introductions, they, they carry weight. What I mean is we tend to communicate things that matter. Like they're a, they're a snapshot, if you will, uh, into the things that are most important about us. So if I was introducing myself, uh, it would sound maybe something like this. Hi, my name's Drew. I'm married. My wife's name is Andrea. We've been together for about six years now. We have a couple of kids. My son's name is Logan. He's coming up on two, and my daughter's name uh, is Ainsley, and she's coming up on four. And, and we're also expecting, my wife's expecting, and, and we're going to have, yeah, yeah, we're, we're super excited about that. So we're going to have number three, and, and we're really pumped uh, about number three to show up on the scene sometime in June. Uh, we're also small business owners, and so we own a, a business here in the city. We do painting, and so we paint houses and really any other thing that might uh, need paint. And then we also help uh, serve, and we love the Summit Church. We love what God's doing here. And so I'm kind of giving you a brief snapshot, if you will, into my life. Like I'm kind of giving you, these are the things that my life is marked by. So I'm a, I'm a family man, right? I'm a businessman, and then I'm also a man who tries to love and follow Jesus. And so if you think about the idea of an introduction, it's a great intersect with the new year because it's during a new year that we tend to be asking that very thing. See, if you're anything like me, then maybe you came in here tonight and you're asking some pretty significant questions this season. How do I want my life to look in 2019? What do I want to be marked by in 2019? And so you do a quick Google search on this and like better health is a, is a huge one, right? It's always like uh, top five if you're uh, looking at New Year's resolutions. And so maybe for some of you, it's like better health and you're like, man, I'm going to commit uh, to get uh, a solid eight hours a night of sleep, like it's better sleep rhythms. Now, for me, uh, and if you have kids, you know that's not really on the table for you, right? Like, I, I'm convinced uh, that my kids are clairvoyant. So, like, I set my alarm for six, and they're like, oh, Dad, he's setting his alarm for six. I'm going to get him up at five, right? Like, that's what my kids are, uh, that, that, that's just kind of like what happens in my house, right? For others of you, uh, it's better eating. Uh, so a lot of times that, that's kind of a big one. And so uh, some of you real health nuts out there uh, are going to sign up for what's called Whole30, 
which is like a, yeah, yeah. It's like a subtraction diet for 30 days where you're not allowed to eat a whole bunch of the things that you would normally eat. Uh, my wife signed us up for this last year, and, uh, and, and here's what happened. Whole 30 for me became whole five, all right? Uh, what I found out about myself was a couple things. One, uh, I am a weak-willed man, all right? Five days, that's all I made it, and then I was like, enough of this. Uh, and then the second thing I found out was that I have an uh, affinity and affection and a love for bread that I'm not giving up. All right, I'm just not giving up. Like I just, I love bread. All right, I'm not, I'm not giving that up. Maybe it's not uh, better health this year. Maybe it's a life marked by a career move. All right, maybe uh, the job that you're in right now, you don't find a lot of value and dignity and worth. And maybe you want to move to a different job where you find a lot of those things. Maybe it's not a career move. Maybe it's, uh, for those of you that are married, uh, maybe your marriage has been kind of rocky and you desire to walk in the fullness that marriage has to offer. And so one of the things you're hoping for, one of the things you want to be marked by is a better marriage in 2019. Maybe for others of you, it would be starting or growing a family. We have a lot of couples here that are having children, and that's great and incredible and beautiful, and praise God for that. Uh, if that's you, or, you know, we also have a culture here at, at the Summit Church of adoption and foster care, and that's such a beautiful thing that you would grow your families like that, and you would be marked by the gospel in that way. And so, again, like, praise God for those different things. See, maybe you came in here today with some weighty things for 2019, things that you'd like to be marked by and things that really matter for your life, things that are good and beautiful and noble. But see, here's, here's my prayer and, and what I'm asking God's spirit to do within us, that we would be a people who are marked by the gospel in 2019. See, for the Summit Church, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation. It is the why and provides substance for the what and the motivation for the how. It is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, of first importance. Okay, but, but here's the rub as I was preparing this, and here's kind of the thing that I felt like I kept bumping into, is that here at the summit, we use the language of the church's family a whole lot, where we're kind of like, hey, the, the church, before it is an institution or an event, it's a, it's a family. But kind of the thing with the language of institution and the thing with the language of a family is those are, those are both communal in nature, right? They're like us together, like we Right, And so when we're talking about the church as a group like that, here's what I found out in my own life, and this might be true for you as well, is that it's easy for me to hide in a group like this. And so we'll say things like, yeah, 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 like we as a people should believe the gospel. And yeah, like our church, like we love God and the things of God. But like church, the question that I've been asking myself and the one I want us to press into tonight is this. Not do we as a church love God and the gospel, but do you love God? Do I love God? Does he hold the attention of your affections? Are you satisfied in him alone? Do you find him to be of greater worth and value than anything this world has to offer? In other words, to be a people that are marked by the gospel is to be a people who have a genuine, deep, and authentic love for God. 
So that's where we're going, and we're going to be spending our time in the two short verses that Andy read out of Psalm 17. And, and again, I think they're so meaningful, so I want us to read them again together. So if you still have your Bibles out, let's go ahead and take a look at them. We're not going to read through the whole psalm, just verses 14 and 15, and it says this. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasures. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So, so David in these two verses sets up an either or proposition. He's going to juxtapose these two ideas together and, and it's going to be the blueprint for the rest of our time together. Okay. And here's the, here's the either or that David sets up. The first is this men who find their portion in the things of this world, men whose hope and security, comfort and peace is found on earth, men who are satisfied with the temporal at the expense of the eternal, men who would, in the words of Jesus, gain the whole world, and yet they would forfeit their very souls. Contrasted with a satisfaction and a peace in God's grace, a hope of being transformed by God, a portion in God. So let's start with verse 14 and a portion in this world. And since we're only looking at the last two verses, to give a little bit of context here, this is a psalm of David, and the basic structure of it is a plea for God to rescue him from his adversaries. And he's asking God to be delivered from a certain kind of man, which he actually describes in a few different ways. But where I want us to focus is verse 14. His main description of this kind of person is that they have a portion in this world. Or put another way, in the language that we used at the very beginning, they are marked by the things of this world. He then goes on to define that as threefold. Treasure is the first one. The second one is children. And the third one is a future security. So if you remember the introduction portion, if I was this kind of person, it would sound like this. Hi, my name's Drew and I love money. <laughs> the security that my family brings me <laughs> And I really want my career and my relationships to matter long after I'm dead. And while we don't necessarily say all these things out loud, they are representative of some of the deepest longings of our hearts. Comfort, security, a hope for the future, to matter and to know that I've made a difference long after I'm gone. And the truth is, these things do provide some of that. There's a real portion here. But it's a shadow and it's a vapor of the real thing. Now, uh, I'm a blue-collar construction kind of guy. And so when, uh, when I was thinking about this, the first thing that, uh, that came to my mind was the $1 spicy McChicken sandwich from McDonald's. Now, cards on the table, I, I'm a big fan, okay? <laughs> now, now I, like, I'm prepared. Like, I, I brace myself for the judgment to follow. Like, I know that there's some of you out there that are immediately going to be like, how could you put that in your body? And I'm like, I don't know. I just love it. Like, I just really enjoy a spicy chicken, right? And, and so uh, when I go to order one of these things uh, at the drive-thru, and again, cards on the table here for me, it's not one. It's like three or four at a time. Uh, so I'll order three or four in the drive-thru, 
and I pay for them, and I'm like, I, I know I have three or four. They're, they're for other people. They're not for me only. Uh, but uh, I go and pay for those, and then I'm driving in my truck, and I'm eating uh, my spicy chickens, and I'll feel full for a time. All right, I'll feel full for a time, and then for a lot longer period of time, I'll feel bloated, maybe a little bit sick, okay? but, but again, not the point. Like I'll feel full for a time. Now, contrast that with a dinner date that I had with my wife uh, three, maybe four weeks ago. It was her birthday, and so uh, we, uh, we were, uh, we were going to do it upright and go to like a really nice restaurant, and so her sister came and, and uh, was watching our kids, and uh, you know, we went to get all dressed up, and I'm a contractor, so I go to work in jeans and a t-shirt, and I wear nice clothes all the time, and so I went to go put on my nice clothes, and I was like, man, these are tighter uh, than I realized. I'm like, i got to cut back on the spicy chickens. Uh, but I, I get my nice clothes on, and, and we go out to a restaurant, and we go out to a restaurant called Potasier. Okay, now, uh, Potasier's over in Cap Hill. It's like a farm-to-table restaurant, and, and it's incredible. I'd highly recommend it. It's great, and so we sit down, and uh, the server comes up and brings us our wine list, and, and, uh, and I order wine based on what I can pronounce. Uh, I don't know if I'm the only one, but that, that's how I do it, so I don't have to sit here and go, I'll have this one. And the guy's like, you're pointing at four, and I'm like, come on, man, don't make me say it. Like, that's going to embarrass me in front of my wife. Like, I, I can't pronounce any of that. Uh, and so I don't know if it's like red or white. Like, they just bring it out, and it's kind of like I'm, I'm hoping for the best here. Uh, and so they bring out our wine, and, uh, and then we order our entrees. And, and again, if you haven't figured this out yet, I'm not a foodie. Uh, so I don't have the vocabulary here to really kind of describe what I experienced. Okay? So what I'll say <laughs> is it was beyond description. All right? The food, the flavors, the taste were just kind of, they were incredible. Like, they were just fantastic. I mean, we had a meal, and it was just kind of like, Man, this is unbelievable. And then they brought out dessert, and I just kind of sat there and like sun silence as I was sitting there eating it, kind of going like, this is amazing. Like, it's absolutely amazing. And so we wrapped up our meal, and we're walking out of there, and I'm, I'm full. I'm absolutely full. I can't eat another bite, all right? But here's the critical distinction. I wasn't just full, okay? I wasn't just full. See, I was satisfied, satisfied because it was a portion that did more for me than just fill up my stomach. And so the confession for me is this. If I examine the either or that David gives here, the truth is that I much more often settle for the things of this world. See, I'm satisfied with our business success and the dollar amount that is in my bank account. I'm entertained and I'm easily distracted with my hobbies. And if I'm really honest here, like I always feel better about myself when I go out and I spend that money on new things. See, if I think about the original premise of this whole sermon, that we would be a people who are marked by the gospel, that the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ would produce a life that is marked by a genuine, deep, and authentic love for God, The truth is, as I stand here in front of you today, I'm not really sure that I love God like that. See, it's easy for me to identify with those whose portion is in this world. And I think if God would give us the gift of sight through his spirit, I'm not the only one. See, maybe for some of you, it's not business success and hobbies, but a dating relationship that you know you're convinced of as unhealthy and toxic, but you won't end it even in the dysfunction 
because of the comfort and security, there's some kind of small semblance of comfort, security, and peace there. But for others of you, maybe you are like me and how easily you can find your security in the things you've acquired. You've orchestrated a life where your time and your money and your energy and effort is spent building your own self-sufficient kingdom of comfort. See, we're like the people that C.S. Lewis described so well when he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered by a holiday at the sea. We You, I, we are far far too easily pleased. So let's pause for a minute, because as I was was writing this, I I felt a real tension, and it's a tension, honestly, I feel even now as I I preach this, and and it's this, that in our hearts and in our minds, we tend to hear something like this through kind of like this season that we're in of a New Year's resolution, And, and if we think about a New Year's resolution all of those that we make are always based on our efforts, right? Like, you make a New Year's resolution, you're kind of like, all right, this requires me to kind of like wake up at a certain time and to do this and do this. And so it's always required, like your effort is always required here. And so when we hear something like this, that if you were to agree with me, then it's like, maybe I am not that good at loving God. If you hear that through the lens of this kind of New Year's resolution idea, or even kind of the tension that I'm feeling right now, you're going to hear it through the lens of guilt and shame. You're going to hear, I'm not very good at loving God, and therefore I need to love God better. And so 2019 would be marked by my life and me trying to love God better. And so here's what that sounds like in my own mind, and maybe kind of help here. Uh, if I can kind of pull this back and go, this is my own voice in my head. This is what it's going to sound like. How could you, Drew? Like, who would be foolish enough to make that trade? The all-wise, all-beautiful, all-powerful, incomprehensible, eternal God of the universe, and all you want is his stuff? Like, how, how foolish are you? How foolish? See, the voice in my head, it, it's harsh, and, and accusatory, and it would lead me to think this, like I need to do better and, and try harder, like I'm not very good at loving God, and, and I need to try better in 2019 to love him more, as though like I could generate that up within my own heart, so I kind of like force myself by strength of will to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that better, but here's why I love the Bible, because God through his Holy Spirit speaking through David, he doesn't go guilt and shame, and guilt and shame are incredibly powerful motivators, but he doesn't go that direction. He doesn't go uh, self-effort New Year's resolution. See, David's portion, as it were, his satisfaction in the eternal and his life marked by a love for God isn't really based on his effort at all. Verse 15 says this, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied. With your likeness. See, David's portion in God is twofold. It's a hope of righteousness and a hope of transformation. So he starts off by using the language of I shall, and he uses it two times in this verse. Now, I don't want to spend the next 15 minutes kind of nerding out on grammar here, 
but, but shall is what we call a modal verb. Now, confession for me, I didn't know what a modal verb was until I started preparing for this sermon. Uh, and then I looked it up and I was like, oh, we use those all the time. Okay, that's what that is. Great. Uh, so uh, he's going to use what we call a modal verb. And two things that I want to kind of give a little clarity to for modal verbs here. The first one is this. Modal verbs tend to imply a meaning of possibility or probability. And the second, specific to this text, is that David's going to use a future tense modal verb. So with that being said, the language I shall, used by David, could be said this way. As for me, I'm waiting in expectation. I'm anticipating a day. I long for and hope for a time to come. Now, my family and I, we, we had a pretty uneventful uh, New Year's Eve. We, uh, we watched some football that day, and then we had dinner, and we played with our kids, and we got them to bed. And, and, uh, and, and after we got them to bed, my wife and I spent some time together watching TV, and then we, we fell asleep. Uh, I think it was like 10. I haven't seen midnight on a clock on purpose in a very long time. And so uh, we, we didn't make it until midnight. So, so again, it was a pretty uneventful New Year's Eve with kind of one exception. At about 1 o'clock, I woke up to my son crying. And what I mean by I woke up to my son crying is my, uh, my wife elbowed me in the side and was like, hey, wake up, your son's crying because I can sleep through a crying kid. Uh, but my wife, who God gave me and is, is just gracious to me in her gifts, just elbowed me and was like, hey, uh, your son is awake, go, go deal with this. And so um, I, I threw back the covers and a stark reality hit my face and my body. It was freezing in my house. Uh, and so for some godforsaken reason on the coldest night that we've had so far, I think it was like two degrees on New Year's Eve. Uh, and so it was super cold. My, my furnace just decided to, uh, it just decided to stop working. It's like, I'm just not going to work anymore. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and so uh, I'm a contractor. And so I thought, well, I'll go down and, and fix this. And I quickly learned very quick, or I quickly learned that HVAC, uh, which deals with furnaces, has nothing to do with painting. And so those skill sets do not overlap in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, for me, I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is not going to go well because my wife is in like four layers of clothing and we're checking on our kids to make sure they're not like uh, have entered into frostbite or anything like that. And so I break down and, and we, uh, I, I make a phone call to the 24-7 repair service company, and I get a very nice lady on the phone, and I explain to her our dire situation. And she was very empathetic and, and very gracious to me. Uh, and so she's like, okay, great, I'll, we'll get you on the schedule. And I was like, perfect. Uh, and then you ask the all-important question, if you're ever going to hire a contractor for anything, you ask them the all-important question, and at what time should we expect you to show up? Now, she was like really professional, and her response, but I kind of cut through all of it and was like, here's what I interpreted. We're really busy, and we have no idea. And I was just like, okay, well, I guess we're going to freeze while we wait. And so we longed for, and we hoped for, and we waited in great expectation for the hour and minute and very second when heat would be turned back on in our home and sanity restored to my family, right? And like my family waiting for the very specific gift of heat that we were wholly unable to produce ourselves. David is waiting on a righteousness which he knows is altogether impossible to achieve in and of himself. See, he knows it's coming. It's just a matter of when. 
The tension here is when David writes this, he would have known the words of God to Moses in Exodus 33 that no man can see my face and live. And David himself, by his own hand, writes later in Psalm 53, they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. See, David would have known the disparity and the insurmountable distance between a perfect and holy God and imperfect, unholy people. And yet, and yet, David looks to the future when he'll stand in the presence of God and there be no barrier between them. See, David, a king who would later be found guilty of murder, David, a king who would later be found guilty of adultery, he anticipates a day before God free of all his guilt and free of all his shame, completely and totally righteous. And so for David, writing before the birth of Jesus Christ, his faith is in a future hope. But what David saw in part, you and I know in full. See, his future hope is our present reality. What David looked forward to, we have the benefit of looking back on. It's the difference between knowing at some point in time the repairman is coming and knowing that he has already come and restored that which I needed back to where it should have been originally. It is finished. It is completed. See, Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, which basically just means that there's a righteousness that is available to us that isn't based on moral performance or lack thereof. And it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, God's Son did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. He became one of us, lived the perfect life we couldn't, taking our sins and dying on the cross in our place. And Paul is going to summarize it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we call this the great exchange that the holy God of the universe, the one who created everything, that there is no wrong or deceit or anything evil found in him would actually take all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, and he would bear it on his body in the cross. Not just that he would take all of kind of our stuff onto himself, but his perfect, holy, and righteous life would be gifted to us that we might stand before God. And we would stand before God, that God himself would bear our guilt and shame, and we would be given his perfect life, his righteousness. See, some of you came in here today, and you're not looking forward to the things that you want to be marked by in 2019, but the things you think will forever haunt you from 2018 and the years past. See, it's that thing that you did that you don't want anybody to know about. It's that thing that you said, and you can't take it back. It's that thing that was done to you and you feel like it will forever mark you as unlovable and unworthy. But see, the hope of righteousness, church, is that if you have faith in Jesus, God sees you as he sees his son. And like David, you might with confidence, I might with confidence stand before God and we would be free of all of our guilt and free of all of our shame. 
So a portion in God, it doesn't start with our effort at all. It starts with a free gift of his grace. Man, and, and if, as if that's not enough, David continues on and he gives us not just a gift of righteousness, but a future hope and transformation. So he says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, now, let me just say this really quick. He's not looking forward to tomorrow morning, right? He's not like, hey, tomorrow's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day tomorrow. Like, that's not what he's saying. Okay? Waking and sleeping in the Bible are often euphemisms for uh, death and resurrection. See, David is looking forward to the day when he will be raised from the dead and not just be free of guilt and shame, but transformed, Walking in a perfect new life. See, David would feel and experience some of the real consequences and judgment for his sin. David the king would see his kingdom divided. He would see his sons fight over what he had built. He would even experience the pain of betrayal when one of his very own sons, Absalom, would try and kill him for the throne. And so David's longing for a day of resurrection when all of his failure would not just be accounted for by a gifted righteousness, but transformed into glory. And just like David, you and I experience life in a broken and a fallen world, we know what it's like to experience the real consequences of our actions, don't we? We know what it's like to feel, feel pain. We know what it's like to feel betrayal. And if we're honest here, we're not just passive recipients, are we? We know what it's like to be the one who caused the pain, to be the one who was the betrayer. And like David, we bear the marks of sin in a broken world in our hearts and in our minds and bodies. Deep down, we know, like David, that our need is much greater than just moral improvement. See, if you and I would take a minute to reflect honestly on our lives, we know the damage we've caused by some of the terrible decisions that we've made. We know the damage caused by the terrible things that have happened to us. And, and here's kind of the bottom line. Like a New Year's resolution doesn't cut it, does it? Like we like David, we long for and we need transformation. And we, like David, are still waiting. See, we know that Jesus died bearing the penalty of our sin. And we also know that he resurrected uh, gifting us his very presence through his spirit, who by faith works out this righteousness in our lives, but we're still waiting on the culmination. See, we're still waiting on the final product. We're waiting on the day when all of our failures and all of our marks and wounds and pain we carry because of sin are transformed in an instant. See, on that day, Christ will return, and in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be perfectly like him. And I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. It says, And the king says, Look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick and dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they are gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye, and then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making all things new. So as we wrap this up, and we're back to the original question, 
How do I become a person who's marked by a genuine love for God, whose portion is not of this world, but who finds God to be of supreme value and worth? And, and honestly, church, I feel like what God gave me, because I, I was like looking and looking for an illustration here, and I, I feel like what God gave me wasn't an illustration so much as it was a song. And it's really simple. It's a hymn from the early 1900s, and it was written by Helen Lamell, and it's entitled The Heavenly Vision. Some of you might be familiar with the chorus, and it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his Grace. See, turn your eyes upon him in 2019 and his gift to you of unmerited righteousness. Turn your eyes upon him and his promise to you in 2019 of complete transformation. Turn your eyes upon him and see how holy and fully and unconditionally loved you are by the God of this universe. See, the primary motivator here, it's not that you love God. It's what 1 John says. It's not that we love God, but that God loves us and gave his son for us. And it's in that vision that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And we find our portion in him in a life marked by a love for him. Pray with me. Jesus, I just ask for sight for all of us, that we would be able to see the life that is truly life in 2019 and that you would take hold of our affections and our, uh, our desires and our hearts that we would love you, that we would get caught up in a vision of how beautiful and lovely you are and it would, it would move our hearts to love you. We are so grateful that you love us so fully and wholly and unconditionally like that. Do what only you can do through the power of your spirit in 2019 in our hearts. Amen.